Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's bi-weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded at the PW offices in New York City, I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am also the, uh, the co-editor of PW Comics World, as well as the graphic novels review editor for Publishers Weekly and the editor-in-chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm their podcast producer. This week on More to Come, The Man of Steel premieres this week. Um, Apple, the, uh, the Apple ebook price-fixing trial. DC Squared and the Multiverse, uh, Marvel's new original graphic novel line, Who Owns Ghost Rider, and a new Comics Con in New York, Grand Comics Fest. So let's get right to it. Heidi, Man of Steel, you were there. Yes, I know, and I, I don't want to spoil it too much. So uh, somehow or other, I managed to see Man of Steel two nights in a row. Uh, last night was the first night this week I haven't seen Man of Steel. So that's a little sad. Um, I want to see it. Yes, I don't want to see Spoil it for you guys. So the first night I saw it at the world premiere at uh, Lincoln Center with uh, everybody from Legendary and Warner Brothers and the cast. And everybody seemed very enthusiastic about the film. And I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. The second night I saw it was with the press and I enjoyed it just as much the second time. But most of the people I saw it with were very meh on it. So as I suggested Hmm. to one of my uh, informants, he said, you know, the first night you saw it with Studio Wonks. Now you saw it with Comics Nerds. You need to see it with normal people. So so we'll see. I mean, I I have some questions. Yes. I was actually kind of very turned off (coughs) by the marketing because it made it seem like it was... The darker and edgier Superman. And if there's anything I feel the world does not need, it's darker and edgier Superman. Did they pull it off? This is a movie that is definitely made by Christopher Nolan and David S. Goyer, with Zack Snyder along to give it some visual oomph. So let me just say, there's something that happens in the movie. And, you know, Kate, you're very plugged in with all the online stuff, so I'm sure... I've been trying to be unspoiled. Well, I am not going to spoil it for you, but there is something that happens in the movie that uh, is already controversial, and I can pretty much guarantee you're going to loathe it. So, um, Oh, fun. Yeah, so just, I'm, I'm bringing down your expectations. Right. Of well, it. I, my expectations thing... were extraordinarily low to begin with. Okay, so. well, well, I see, think... I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I, I mean, I, I have no problem with, with darker views of, right. of the comics, well, particularly difficult. in movies. Did you like the Batman trilogy? Yes, I did. Uh, I mean, I did. did you I have, like I it, have... or did you love it? I liked it, and I loved, um, you know, uh, Heath Ledger's performance, right, okay, which okay. to me carries the whole movie. Whereas, frankly, the whole trilogy. <laughs> whereas, um, I hated the last Batman movie. Yeah. I have to say that, but go on. Sorry. <laughs> whereas, well, I, I really like the first of the Dark Knight movies. Um, that's Batman, and he's normally dark. And yes, just, just the fact that it's Superman is what's got me a little like, I don't know, man. Darker edgier Superman. I'm not well, sure. Well, I'll tell you. It's a lot better than Green Lantern. It's a lot better Let's than hope Superman so. Returns. Now, <laughs> that's about the most meager praise you could possibly give a film. So, uh, but I liked it better than that. I mean, mm-hmm. there was a lot of uh, there was a uh, there were a lot of things in it that I did not like. Did you like the costume? I did, and I liked changed. Henry Cavill an awful yeah. lot. I yeah, would spend right. every night watching Henry Cavill if I could. So, did, did Russell Crowe <laughs> chew as much furniture as uh, Marlon Brando did? No, 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 no. He was much more subdued. Can I ask so. about and he didn't a, say Krypton. Can either. I ask about a controversial thing that was floating around the internet? Well, yes, but I mean, don't spoil it for people. So, well, I can, I can only spoil it if you answer it. So, okay. <laughs> so I'm, I'm shifting the spoilage, perhaps to you. Uh, the notion that I uh, that 
the Krypton was not destroyed. Oh no 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 no! They destroyed Krypton. Okay, Krypton, this Krypton. It must be the son of Krypton. Yeah. Yeah, um, well, I didn't oh look saying it that way. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Neither did that, anyone else. Okay, so I'm, I'm problems, fine. That's the only thing that, that bothered you're me. Have with this movie are not uh, nerd related. They are dramatic related. However, um, I thought. I think you have a hard time with Superman. You have a character who's really kind of like Mickey Mouse. You know, he's too good to be true. And, and uh, you know, Christopher Nolan specializes in a more darker, gravitas-filled um, uh, uh, movie. And, and you know, I, I, I mean, I don't know. Um, you know, when they tried to remake the Donner film with Superman Returns and failed miserably, like by well, lacking the tone, I guess the, the, the aughts are... are well, but I think it was that they didn't do a particularly good job of keeping true to the tone to begin with. I mean, you start off with Superman's illegitimate child, and it all goes downhill from well, there. I, I, you know what? That movie is I best did, left I forgotten. That movie didn't bother me as much, though I do acknowledge the criticisms against it. Um, but but I love the opening scene with the saving the airline. Yes, so. and then it was all downhill from there. Anyway, I, you know, I don't. I think like you guys will definitely have seen this by the next time we do the podcast. So I think we should definitely just dis- we should talk. We should circle I, back. I, I, well, we have see, to talk thing about is. It. I actually will have to be spoiled by you after this podcast because, like, in, unless something vastly changes my mind, I'm just waiting for DVD on this one. I was just like, eh. What, Kate? I do you want to see a JLA movie? Yes, you better, but... Then you better, then go, you better, you better go, go, go buy a ticket. No, sure. you know what? You Enough people see... are going to buy it or not. It's Besides, like, we need you. You're a no, dark queen. We no, need you to no, be no, able to talk no, about no. this well, I will before tell the you, DVD comes. You know what? I will tell you one reason that you should go see this movie and okay. support it, okay? What I is will it? say that it has better female characters. Than yeah, you they, said they, they cast her well. They cast her well. No, but, you know, the second in command is Kaora Ul or Feora Ul. It's kind of hard to say what her name is. But, you know, the secondary villain in the film is a female kryptonite. And uh, even the people who didn't like the movie loved her. So I would say to go see the movie just for her. I will, um, I will have to ask my cohorts on this yes. one. I'm girl power, that. baby, girl power. Yeah, so, yeah but, uh, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> is it enough? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I will say, I, I mean, I think you would be, I think you would actually really enjoy this, yeah. this character. Like, character. Everybody pretty it. much loved her and, and said she was one of the best things in the movie who felt a little bit more meh about the uh, general. I but, I, I, you know, just to to, to um, so talk what, a little bit about, um, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to ask you, what was your star-studded experience like well, that's what i was just about to yes. say so i was just going to talk about uh a little bit more about the uh general you know expectations from warner brothers and yeah you know this film is made by legendary and uh, apparently the legendary warner brothers partnership is a little bit on the rocks right now so I why mean, uh because warner brothers has been um meddling too much with legendary ah, and taking credit for everything um there was actually a big story in the hollywood reporter about this recently so um so I, I feel like, uh, you know, that th- this movie is so important for so many ways. And I think the reviews are going to be very middling. And I think people are going to go see it. It's going to have a huge opening weekend and it is going to make money. But I think it's going to leave a lot of questions for people. And I think the one universal criticism, even for those who were entertained by it, as I was, is that it's humorless. And if you oh. look at the hmm. Richard Donner film, it was full of charm and character and laughter mm. and, you know, just... Yeah, you don't need to be a comedy to have at least mm. a sense of humor yes. about yourself. And, you know, guess what? Guess what makes mm. all the Marvel movies very successful? Yeah, it's, the, they, yeah, it's, it's the fact that they're they're <clears throat> lighthearted. Yeah. Even the most serious ones have yeah. lighthearted moments. Exactly. Great, yeah. And this is like the Dark Knight mm. trilogy, mm. incredibly humorless. But so uh, the trailers, for the scenes in the trailer, I think, look great. Uh, I mean, does that carry over through the whole movie? I mean, some of the stuff you see Superman doing. Uh, 
trailer kind of does. Looks I thought they looked awesome. Just a bit. So anyway, yeah. you know what? Okay. I, I would say judge for yourself. I, I this is not a movie where I say stay away, stay away, stay away. But I am warning you that there are things in it that are going to be very, very, very yeah. controversial. Yeah. So. Okay. But right. um, and we'll, well that will be fun <laughs> to uh, deal with, and we'll see what it means for the uh, Warner Brothers studio. I think. I think this can be claimed as the home run that they needed, and I think they're going to yeah. move forward with the JLM movie and uh, you know a shared universe. So you'll see little touches that um, hopefully the shared it. universe will not be as humorless. Well, exactly. But at the same time, Warner Brothers needs to really go back and do some soul searching and say why are the only two options we have to make a superhero movie either Jack Black. Or Christopher Nolan. Is there nothing in between? <laughs> okay. Or have they all been hired yes. by Marvel? They might yeah, want to. Yes, well, they have. They might want to reacquaint themselves with you know <laughs> filmmakers like Edgar Wright and. Um, yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, so so okay. on and so forth. Okay. All right. Moving right yeah. along. All right. Well, um, uh, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna j- jump right into uh, talking a little bit about the uh, Apple ebook price fixing trial. Since in fact I have spent four days. Uh, out of the uh, seven so far, covering it for Publishers Weekly, um, uh, pinch hitting uh, a little bit for uh, our regular um, uh, big time trial reporter, uh, Andrew Albanese. Uh, but it's been very fascinating. For those of you in the media, in particular, who may have been under a rock for the last uh, two weeks, <laughs> you know, um, the U.S. government uh, is basically, the Department of Justice is charging Apple with being the ringleader in an ebook price fixing scheme. Jesus. Oh my god. It reads like a superhero comic book, right? You know, there's a big villain and it and his minions. Yeah. And his minions being uh, five of the biggest um, book publishers in the U.S. and actually in the world. Sounds like a case uh, for Clark Kent. Yes, that's I think as a matter Denzel of fact. Washington will star in the film version. That's good. Well, actually, as I, he, I feel as like Clark Kent. Actually. And to uncover <laughs> own I feel Kent. like Clark Kent actually in this thing. You know, except there, there are no phone booths anywhere. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> In, in any event, um, uh, basically what we've seen is, uh, th- basically the government, uh, I should back up, the five publishers who uh, have all settled with the government, uh, basically admitting no wrongdoing, but also essentially essentially confessing that, you know, they weren't going to fight this. Uh, the government had a lot of evidence. Uh, I'll tell you more about that. The government had truckloads of evidence. <laughs> uh, essentially... Uh, not so much that um, uh, in um, early January of 2010, these publishers all signed on with Apple to sell their ebooks through uh, the iBook Store. This was at the launch of the iPad and the launch of the, the iBook Store. Uh, the only problem is the DOJ is charging that they all colluded, they all acted in concert to do this in order to raise the prices of ebooks. Uh, why would they want to do this? Um, to make money. Most uh. book, to make money, but mostly because. Uh, book publishers, American book publishers, hate Amazon.com. They hate mm. Amazon.com, Amazon.com with a, a, a deep and abiding loathing. Basically what happened is that um, the look, desperately looking for a way to get away from Amazon. What, this is what happens on Amazon. Amazon as a wholesaler, basically, you know, what, what a wholesaler a wholesale uh, yeah. purchase does. You buy the books from the publishers, right. then the retailer has a right to sell them at what they want. Right. Amazon has a long practice of using um, bestsellers as loss leaders. They've done it in the print world, but they also did it in the e-world, e-book world, and they've done it in the e-book world to such an incredible extent that it's driving publishers Mm. Man, there's that their nine ninety nine price point has essentially become accepted by everyone, including everyone in this room, as really 
the standard for what an ebook price should be. I mean, most people these right. days, if you right. sell more than that, they think you're a, a, a crook. And if you sell less than that, they, they, they applaud. Right. Um, book publishers hate it with a deep and abiding passion. They feel like their best books are being like sold, as they said in the trial, under at bargain basement prices. So what they essentially, uh, or what the government, excuse me, said they did, was that basically they winked, winked at each other, um, approached Apple, who was, which who wanted to launch a bookstore and have e-books, but also did not want to lose money on the sale of every e-book. Uh, so they basically switched to what something called the agency model, the agency model. which I think we talked on yes, another podcast have, like and years actually ago. Actually, the thing was, I believe that the uh, court was saying that it wasn't the agency model was the problem; is that they were talking to each other. Exactly, you're exactly right. How they were doing the agency the agency model. model remains to this day perfectly legal. In fact, one of the publishers of the big six. Remember, I said there were five publishers. Right. Well, the big six minus one publisher, Ooh, Random, House, Random House, the biggest publisher right. in the world at that time, did not join the uh, alleged conspiracy. <gasps> they did join much later, mm-hmm. uh, in 2011, after all oh, this is much down. Yeah. They are not charged with anything. And the head of Random House will be played by Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> Most likely. I'm sure Marcus Dole would appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. Um, but in any event, um, Random House is not charged. Um, since all of the publishers have settled, the only one who didn't settle was, Am- uh, was, was Apple, so therefore, that's why we're in a trial. So what I've been doing for the four days that I've covered is basically listening to a procession of powerful, self-assured people, the CEOs of three of the biggest publishers in the country, um, basically sweating bullets on a witness stand under questioning from government lawyers. Wow. John Hamm. Um, uh, yes. <laughs> You're casting the movie right now. Uh, so I this is, watch that. It's been very interesting. Uh, you know, to make a, a long story a, a little less long, I'll say this. Uh, um, uh, most of the publishers acknowledge they want to raise prices. All of them swear they weren't colluding. But once they do that, the government has trotted out an enormous amount of evidence that shows them in contact between a, what is it, two or three week period, between December 2009 and February, um, really in February of 2010, of them talking about the negotiations with Apple, the negotiations with what they're going to do with Amazon, because all they did is to switch Amazon to agency once they've signed on with Apple, and then tell Apple that, that we control the prices now. There's no more nine ninety nine. Right. Uh, there's much talk about um, Apple trying to actually restrain uh, some of the publishers' uncontrolled impulses toward pricing. Apple tried to cap all of the prices at twelve ninety nine for an ebook. The publishers got them to bump it up to fourteen ninety nine. All all of this is tied to the price of a print books. Now, wasn't there today or yesterday in the trial, wasn't there some sort of a smoking gun email that turned out to be not so smoking? Well, there's been a lot of smoking gun emails. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what you're referring to well, yesterday. Well, supposing there was an email from Steve Jobs or somebody very high up at well, Apple that turned out that it was just a draft or they Well, I think that actually was released today because okay. uh, Eddie Q, really the uh, Apple executive that really negotiated many of these contracts was there. And I believe there was an E, there was, but see, there's many smoking gun passages. When I was in uh, court the other day, there was a passage from Walter Isaacson's book about Steve Jobs. Basically, with Steve Jobs saying, um, uh, saying to the publishers uh, and saying to Isaacson that, you know, we're going to do the agency model. You'll control the prices. 
Uh, you'll raise them. You know, um, the consumers will pay a little bit more, but that's what you want. That was introduced into the trial, definitely. Um, and, and also much, much evidence showing publishers uh, talking with each other, in contact with each other uh, before this, and essentially nodding and winking at each other, uh, all in agreement that we're getting out now, of this you know, and we're going to raise prices. They should have done what they did in the Born Supremacy and go to <laughs> a bar or you know a, a cafe in Morocco and talk without listening well, and not write well, it in an ad. Well, as a matter of fact, they they did do that. There were many dinners. <laughs> there were actually dinners at very expensive restaurants where the CEOs got together to talk about many things according Never to the bad. government. Never including put, um, never put your price fixing on the company card. Yes, yes. yes. Well, not only did they put it on the company card, they put it in company emails. They put it in internal documents. They put it in talking points and strategy papers that they sent around. In, uh, not only talking about how they wanted to raise the prices above nine ninety nine, but how they wanted to raise ebook prices to sixteen ninety nine and nineteen ninety nine. God, did they never read their own spy novels? This is terrible <laughs> trade craft. Okay, now this is a bench. A bench trial, in other words, there's not a jury. Uh, the, ju- the judge, Denise Cote, uh, is hearing the testimony. She will make a determination at the end of it. Uh, I, I, by my commentary here, I don't want to suggest that it's a foregone conclusion because I'm not a lawyer. And while uh, it does seem as though there's an enormous amount of evidence that indeed the publishers were colluding. To do something. To, no, the to raise prices. They admit it. <laughs> they like, admit it. They, have, they say it all over and over again. Now, they, they sort of say that they were not in contact with each other, but the government has an enormous amount of so information what, that they so were. So suppose the court, the judge does rule against Apple. What's going to happen? What would be the fault? Well, if, if, they, if they rule that uh, then Apple will uh, um, be... Apple will have to write a big check, a huge check. I don't know exactly what the fines would be, but that's not the problem. There's not a. I'm sure whatever it is, Apple can write a check and not even think about it ever again. Uh, my colleague uh, Andrew Albany says what the what is more frightening for Apple, uh, in his view, is not so much the fine, but the fact that they would have to be um, put under. Uh, Department of Justice compliance, which means basically the DOJ sets up in your building and monitors all of your wow. business so decisions you're, you're, for a period now, given that, that, of, that they determine. You're on business parole, basically? Essentially, yeah. yes. You know, given that uh, Apple's so secretive to begin with, and you know, I'm sure that they just thought this would never come to trial like this, and you know, uh, good old uh, you know Obama DOJ though. You know, yeah, I guess it is. Now, I mean, maybe they could. I, I don't a lot know. of people he think put, that this is a is that the DOJ shouldn't be bringing. I would this. say ebook price fixing is probably not the most. It's probably the, one of the more provable, and yet one of the less, more like who cares? Well, what about Monsanto? <laughs> you know, with genetic gene splicing in our food. Well, I think that's true. a little bit more. Well, I think the Supreme Court ruled on that today. Actually, that's right, they did. They did. You can't trademark a gene. So anyway, the trial will continue for one more week. Uh, I've, I've seen to have evolved into the Tuesday Wednesday guy, mm-hmm. uh, and Andy does um, Monday Thursday. So we'll see how to, whether that plays out next week. Uh, and I and I'm rambling about this on uh, more to come because if you know if you uh, basically if you buy digital comics published by, by any of the big six, then you, the price you pay for your your graphic novel your, your digital graphic novel has has been affected by the acts of these publishers right. yeah. and graphic actually books. have been changed by the settlement mm-hmm. order because as part of the settlement not only. Uh, 
do agency publishers have to discount now? That was one of the things agencies is no more discounting. They have to discount to some extent now. And um, uh, and also, I forgot my other point. So <laughs> there's another thing that uh, will happen to you. We'll That's what I can remember exactly, but it'll come, it'll come to me at another yeah. time. But no, this is fascinating. Anyway. I mean, this is really the trial of the century as far as... Uh, you know, or at least a month. Yes, if you, and if you buy your comics through the iBook store in particular, um, you, you have right. been affected by what has been going on. Well, speaking of digital, um, DC Comics uh, has been doing digital comics for a while, but they've been pretty simple. It's like they just published comics that were digital, and then they printed them uh, to some success, actually. But now they just announced last week a, a more ambitious initiative called uh, DC Squared and DC Squared Multiverse. Uh, Calvin and I were both at the awesome launch, party. launch event. Well, I called it a launch event. Calvin got there late. So he I did get there late. The party was awesome. Yeah. But, um, uh, basically, DC Squared Comics will be, to be perfectly blunt, they'll be a lot like uh, Marvel's uh, Infinite Comics. Well, they, but unlike the Infinite Comics, they are doing um, choose your own ending. But those are the multiverse. Yes, the multiverse. Those are the multiverse. The, the, multiverse. the DC Squared Comics are pretty much... Typical, I mean, I don't even know what you call them, pan and scan comics. Motion comics? No, no, no. They're not motion part comics. No, they're more like pan and scan. They're more like comicsology guided view. Yeah, they're kind of like thrill bent. Yeah. Well, yes, the Mark Wade format. They're kind of like that, in that they sort of sequence panels, but they don't animate in the interior of the panels. Exactly. So it's the reading rainbow effect. As the page well, soars across I, well, the screen, I, I there think, is some. Well, okay, I heard, I heard, you heard that maybe this was uh, these comics were being prepped by Comicsology, uh, which I believe they do for Marvel's well, Infinite, they, also. Well, I know that DC is they definitely do Mar- for Marvel, right? So already. they do it for that, and uh, so it's using uh, Comicsology's guided view technology, yeah. which is so so basically, it's it's really you know unlike say a Macomi Girls, which I'm Kate. I know you read every week. It's so, actually better than it looks, sure. which would not be I hard. Know, but it, yeah, anyway. basically every Animated superhero in the world yeah. are awful. So when you read, my view, you read a, 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 a you know your your weekly uh, Amikami or Lil Gotham, um, it's just a comic on the page. Yeah. Basically, what these DC Squared comics are is you click on a panel and then it goes whoop, and there's another panel and then it goes and then there's another panel and then it goes or where balloons pop up world balloons in, pop you know, up so, in sequence yeah so it's kind know. of a thrill bit thrill yeah. bit uh, format now yeah. DC Squared Multiverse is what you were talking about before with the choose your own adventure motion comics um, so these are a lot more uh they have you know, animation. They have animation. They have music. They have sound effects. So when you click on a panel, it goes zing, you know, yeah. or toink. Exactly what we needed all along. Yes, yes. yes. we need toink. It's interesting, but I, I admit, I mean, I like the multiple story path. That sounds good. I'm not as crazy about animated comics. Right. Well, you know, they put my s- teeth on edge. The sweet spot hasn't been found for these yet. That's for yeah. sure. Now, what they're trying to do with the DC stuff, as as they've been doing, you know, one of DC's biggest. Successes recently has been um, Cry for Justice, the yeah. uh, the uh, yeah, which is based on a video game, but it's huge. I mean, online it's huge, and you know Diane Nelson, uh, DC's president, was at uh, was at this event, and she ran through some statistics, and their digital sales are up like um, you know uh, an insane amount, like three times what they were 
uh, a year ago. So, I mean, she says it's one of their fastest growing segments. Yeah. And it's actually not Cry for Justice that is an old DC storyline. Yes. It's Injustice. God's Injustice, among cry us. for us. Right. No, no Injustice, no. I know, God's Among Us. Yes, thank okay. you for correcting <laughs> well, that. Well, okay, because <laughs> Cry for Justice was a really, really terrible series that nobody liked. Right. And this is popular. Injustice, God's Among Us. I, I think Superman turns bad and everybody has to decide yes. how they're going to stop him. So, but anyway, yeah. basically, digital comics doing quite well um the success of injustice gods among us being tied to a video game i think the multiverse comics are also going yes, to be tied or at into... least some the first one is batman arkham origins is a tie-in with video game of the same title and will be the first dc squared multiverse title coming mm-hmm. sometime this summer we don't know when yeah no. right um, and also, uh, Marvel also had was pushing. Um, yes. Uh, I, mean, I mean, just you know, it's a, this is definitely a, a move forward for DC, just to, to kind of yeah. wrap a bow around Can't that. Yeah. And with Diane Nelson now uh, in charge of Warner Brothers Interactive, uh, obviously this is a big growth yeah. area for them. So um, Marvel also made a radically um, innovative and incredibly boundary stretching move this week by announcing <laughs> that they were going to do an original graphic novel. And you know, I'm kidding them, but because of their uh, fiscal structure, it's very hard for them to put out a book where you have to sink a lot of money into it ahead of time mm-hmm. and the returns come in over a slower period as they do for an original graphic novel. So I really do salute them uh, for, yeah, it'll be good. for yeah. doing this. And uh, the first yeah, These are print books here. These, these are, are print, print books. These are print. Yes. Uh, it's called uh, Avengers Endless Wartime. It'll be written by Warren Ellis with art by Mike McCone and uh, Ryan Hughes. The good great, team. The great mm-hmm. designer is designing it. So this will be a real book that looks very good. And, you know, Warren Ellis absolutely has a great track record. And um, they held a press conference about this also earlier this week, which I went to. And, um, you know, Axel Alonso was talking at it about how this is something, uh, as did Tom Brevoort, uh, both the top editors at Marvel. were like, this is something that they realized that, that they should be doing. Um, they couldn't make it work from a budget standpoint until now. Um, and one of the ways they're making it work is that it's simultaneously released around the world. There'll be different versions of languages. Panini will be distributing it. It'll be digital. Nice. So, so you know, by making a big splash with it. And I, I, I mean, I, I think I think it's very smart for them. It's going to tie in with the Avengers just when Thor is coming out, the next Thor movie. So um, as we've oh, seen... Oh, so it's time for November. Right. It? And as we've talked about endlessly here, mm-hmm. when a graphic novel is actually related to the, movie to the movie that comes out, it actually sells very well. So. That's how it usually works in the book world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you just have to have a book that the consumer can easily find. Exactly. <laughs> Which and actually mean, comprehend. And th- although they would not reveal any more details, there are more original graphic novels on the way. So I think that's really... Yes. Well, I think both these moves are really great from yes. DC and Marvel. Digital and, on one hand, print on the other yes. side. Yes. Uh, we're, we're entering in a world where both of these formats are going to really have new life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And <laughs> next is who owns <laughs> Ghost Rider? Yes. Yeah, well... I, we, I, we actually still don't know. We still don't know, but um, you know, we again, we've been following these legal uh, proceedings over the ownership of various legacy superheroes uh, for for as long as we've been doing this podcast. So this week, there is a stunner, a stunner when in the appeals court reversed a lower court decision in a case where Gary Friedrich, uh, who wrote the first story that featured Ghost Rider in his flaming motorcycle dude guys. I had been suing Marvel for ownership of the character, and a lower court had ruled in Marvel's favor and uh, leading Marvel to actually sue Gary Friedrich for $17,000 because he'd been selling Prince of Ghost Rider. 
um, which sent a chilling effect over many creators. But anyway, that was the lower court decision, which actually is in very much in line with almost every decision we've seen in these kinds of cases. But well, not this one. Not mm-hmm. this week. It, this a stunning reversal. The, the Second Court of Appeals said that Marvel had not proven their ownership, uh, that the agreement they had actually was years after the book had been written, and it did not prove retroactively. It couldn't retroactively, and that their, their claims were just not legally um, clear enough for them to mm. say uh, that, that Marvel owned this character. Now, it's not clear who does. Sounds like this could be an awesome victory for Gary Friedrich, but. Uh, it used to plug my own website well, at the beat. Uh, Jeff Trexler, who is a lawyer who follows these issues very closely, uh, read the decision. And it's kind of a mixed bag. Like, basically, the ruling is that Marvel's paperwork wasn't enough to prove that they own Ghost Rider. However, Gary Friedrich doesn't really have a very good case either. And, yeah. and I mean, people have often said he didn't have a great case because it was very clear that Roy Thomas had come to him and said, do you want to do somebody named Ghost Rider? Mm. Um, Sounds like work for hire. Yes, exactly. Yes or no? Because yeah. I mean, it's just the name, so it's right, very right, right. You can't trademark. On, I mean, mm. you can't copyright a name. So right. anyway, so so basically, I think all of us need to read up on this decision. Mm. But based on what Jeff wrote yesterday, it's not that the court's suddenly going to rule for Gary Friedrich. However, it does set a precedent moving forward for perhaps some other. Mm-hmm cases that might be brought in some of these Marvel characters. Certainly if uh, Steve Gerber was still alive, he created Howard the Duck uh, during that period and and lost a lawsuit to get uh, control of the character. Um, I mean, this would actually be something that that might come under that. So, um, Well, maybe his heirs. Right. Well, this appeals ruling is definitely something that is going to cause a lot of people to go back and look at some of their cases because uh, it could set a precedent that would be absolutely stunning. So maybe not for Gary Friedrich, but we don't know. More to come. More to come. come. As always. Okay. Uh, And uh, to our last big topic, uh, before we move to the news brief, uh, there's a new Comics Con in town. Right. Yes. Well, I hate to be, you know, the arbiter of all the news this week. But yes, just very quickly, last Saturday, I (laughs) went to the Grand Con. Yes, I was on the scene. I haven't been on the scene a lot in the past past two weeks. That's why you're the beat. Yes. Well, that was Calvin. Between Calvin and I, we've been on the scene for pretty much everything of note happening in the world. But uh, anyway, I went to the Grand Comics Festival, which is very... Uh, now, where small. was this? It was in Williamsburg on mm-hmm. Grand Street, just uh, near the North. A hipster shop. comics festival. A hipster comics festival. A lot of Brooklyn <laughs> cartoonists were set up there, yeah. like Andrea Sarumi. Um, mm-hmm. Who else was set up? Um, uh, uh, well, um, now I'm totally forgetting the name of the guy. He runs <laughs> runs the thing. But um, who else was there? Meredith Grand was there. Bob Sikoriak was, cool. was oh, there. Oh, cool. Well, where exactly um, Sam in Henderson. Um, it was on Grand Street. Oh, 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 oh it's on Grand Street. It's on Grand Street. Oh, okay, oh, okay. Oh, oh, okay. I, I didn't. Yes. Okay. Yes. Now I get it. Okay. And it's okay. At the Bird River. It's at a studio called oh, okay. Bird River yeah, Studios. I, I, yeah. I think I know what this and is actually. Yeah. Um, it was small. I mean, mm-hmm. intimate. Maybe like maybe thirty exhibitors, thirty oh, yeah. to forty well, exhibitors. Very cool. Um, and you know, it was it was not hectic. Yeah. I don't think people sold massive amounts of books. Mm-hmm. And as somebody said, it wasn't something you'd travel for, you know. But you know what? It was a very nice, yeah. small local show. Uh, a hometown con. Yeah. yeah, it was a hometown con. It gave people time to really talk mm. and look at each other's books. So, um, and there's talk of doing another one. So I think we're yeah. going to see a lot more of these micro shows. So actually. while we're on this topic, I want to hype the feature that you just finished working right. on. The preview of. Uh, our San Diego Comic-Con preview really takes a look at this whole phenomenon 
of just the growing numbers of cons yes. and 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 smaller festivals. Yes, the cons and the calves. The well, yes. this was a calf, a comic art festival. Mm-hmm. So, um, and also in this article, which is out in, on Monday, uh, which so you'll have it uh, right now as mm-hmm. you're reading, as you're listening to this. Yes, yeah, so you can read it while you're uh, listening you to us. Read it and, well, I have a Blow chart that actually, you know, everybody <laughs> says, "What's the third biggest show? What's the fourth biggest show?" Well, I went and I looked at the attendance, and I make a chart that shows yeah. what are the biggest shows in North America. So you might want to look for that. All right, there you go. All right. On to the brief. Miss Kate. Digital manga publishing has returned to print publishing early. Um, earlier this year, or actually the end of last year. I, I think it was the end of last end year. End of last year. Yeah. Uh, digital man- manga publishing um, decided that they were going to go all digital for a while until they could financially support printing again. And they were supposed to come back this September. Well, apparently they're back early. Um they have just come out with their first two print books in months. Uh, I Know Kasabi, Volume 1, and Z, Volume 8, already available. And they are months ahead of schedule and apparently doing well. If I could interject, it, uh, and I, maybe I'm wrong. I've checked the story because I actually wrote the story about this. They were supposed to come back in June. I know everybody's saying they're, they're back early, but as I recall, they said that they were going to be back in June. And they're back in June. Right. So, they're, so, uh, well, I, but they're, I may be wrong. June 30th, Calvin. It's June, <laughs> so, June 30th. I'm glad that so they're back. Believe on. me, I have I really well, like DMP. Well, let's put it this way. The but, books. <laughs> this early business. The books are early. The, the books, books are, are early. scheduled okay. for September and October, respectively. Okay, well, that's They fine. didn't have anything on their schedule right, for right. June. So. No problem. Believe I me. I guess I'm, I'm happy that DMP is back. How early they are early, but. Maybe I, and I may be mistaken. That's happened in the past. But that said, I'm I'm a big fan of DNP and glad to see that they're they're back doing print books again. Okay, Fables has been picked up for a movie. The Vertigo comic by Bill Willingham is now going to be directed by the director Nicolaj Arcel with a script from writer Jeremy Slater. And cool. given that this comic has been very Fables popular, deserves it. Yeah. 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 And uh, has had a few go-rounds with the uh, TV production world. And the wannabe uh, fables have are all indeed. over TV. Um, well, I think you know uh, who great they are. To, oh, <laughs> you know who you <laughs> are. Um, it's great to see it finally coming to the big screen. Um, speaking of the small screen, Phineas and Ferb are becoming the first Disney characters to enter the Marvel Universe or have the Marvel Universe enter their cartoon, depending on how you look at it. This summer, at some point, the special Phineas and Ferb Mission Marvel will feature various Marvel characters interacting with Phineas and Ferb, the redoubtable preteen science geniuses for a wacky adventure featuring Red Skull, Venom, and Modoc. And thus, it begins. (laughs) It begins. Thus begins. (laughs) Winnie the Pooh meets the Punisher. Yeah. Not enough, just, enough said. Not just a man. Enough said when you wish upon a star. Story and, yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on. But our last news brief is uh, a Kickstarter wonder story. Um, Greg Ruka's comic, Lady Saber, has so exceeded its Kickstarter goal as to be astonishing, even after all the Kickstarter exceedings we've heard before. Its goal was $27,500. It raised $143,000 in a bit. And um, money out the ears, wildly successful, especially for a comic that I don't think anyone's ever heard of before. I mean, 
we've heard of Greg Ruka, but Lady Sabres, kind of a new thing. Um, but well, I think, wildly successful. I, and you know, I think this is actually a really huge story that we should discuss I at some so other too. time. Because, I mean... Uh, people might not have known the character, but I think they certainly know Greg Rucka. Um, yeah, and the, the, the like, name of the right. creator is enough to right. sell a property and, that people don't know. But you know what? That's what the way it works in, a, in the real world. You know? Yeah, uh, absolutely. But we're also seeing, I mean, what's amazing? I mean, great the Greg Rucka, but we're seeing notable but lesser uh, star factor figures doing also well. getting extraordinary, yeah. doing extraordinarily well using Kickstarter campaigns. I mean... Um, the it, it really is the, the Dresden Kodak guy. Right. I mean, uh, right. also, well, I mean, I mean there, and that's just well, one see, the of Dresden, many. Dresden Kodak was sort of the reverse of this. Well, the, the model of doing great in Kickstarter for a while had been that you had had some product that people knew well, that either had gone out of print or that you had been promoting it well online. And, you know, when you had had big name people show up and just have sort of random project, it hadn't done as well. But I think now that more people know Kickstarter in the sort of wider comics community, and not just like your faithful who are following your website every day, yeah. um, you you can have things like this. And right? I think people like the sort of custom prize and, oh, yeah. or a customized relationship right. Well, right. to it. People want to be con- very much connected. And I, I mean, I think one thing that really you cannot uh, over, you know, cannot overlook is that the art by Rick Burchett was great. I mean, this yeah. comic was actually very good. I mean, that's, that's you know, oh, secondary, yeah. but, uh, you know, people know. actually read it and liked yeah. it. But, but I, I mean, what it really is talking about, and Rucka himself said this in a couple of interviews, is that he is, he walked away from D.C. in a huff, in a strop. You know, um, Marvel... Uh, really? I mean, the, the the official line was that he just really needed to work on his own products. Yeah, but there were some interviews he ah. did where he was complaining. And, uh, like, Every, pretty much everybody... Everybody seems and to be complaining these Marvel, days, And then at Marvel, he was, uh, you know, he's not really in great with Marvel. So, no. I mean, after years of working for the big two, I mean, he is kind of on his own. And this means that his career is very viable. You know, I mean, Boy, in a also. world, and also, you know, he's a novelist. He's a published yeah. novelist with his, his, his books and everything. So, so for him, like, the, this is a proof concept of, uh, you know, that a business life, model, basically. yeah, that a business model is is exists mm-hmm. out there for people who don't want to be beholden to Marvel or DC. So, and, and uh, there, there's a growing number of, of it seems creators that mm-hmm. have taken that position. And um, yeah. yeah, and even some people who are still working for DC and Marvel have gotten less hesitant about voicing their displeasure about things because I think they don't feel as locked in right. anymore. Well, yeah. I think where we're headed is the internet is a big tube of money and everybody's going to put their little tap into it and maybe a penny will come out or maybe a dime will come out or maybe if well, maybe $140,000. Yeah, <laughs> if you're Apple, maybe nine ninety nine. Yes, yeah, sure, well, that could happen too. <laughs> And okay, and yeah. that's it for today. That's all it brings right. oh, Well, that. next time, you guys, uh, well, maybe not Kate, but at least one of you, go see Man of Steel. So we can yeah, I'm going to see, not to worry, I'm going to see it, right. without a doubt. Because uh, we should, and Kate should see it too, because we have to talk about it, and you're our nerd queen. So, all right. All right. So, more to come. More to come. <laughs>